God, we thank you. You're so wonderfully awesome, perfect, and holy. We ask that you would bless us today with the ability to hear your word, to understand your word, to accept the truth, and to receive the freedom that comes from the truth. Arrest our minds so that we may focus in on understanding the tithe, understanding giving, understanding your grace, love, and forgiveness. Let all those things be resident in our hearts and minds today as we leave this place. We will forever give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Genesis the 12th chapter and 13th chapter is where we began to understand that Abram's wealth, his riches, gold, silver, livestock, all those things came to Abram prior to ever mentioning the tithe. Today we're going to deal with the 14th chapter of Genesis, which is what people point to. There is one word and one verse and three chapters of information presented to us that people have latched onto and developed a financial doctrine from. But today you will be free. You will be free from that financially manipulative practice called tithing. So turn in the Bibles, Genesis the 14th chapter. We saw a couple of things that was happening that, that had occurred. You know, Sarai and Abram had been dealing with moving. You know, Genesis 12 chapter, get out of your, get out of your uh, land and your country, leave your father's house, leave your family. Of course, we know Abram didn't do that. He took lock with him. Then um, Abram, you know, his trust in God was definitely varied because when he got to Egypt he said okay time out let's get a plan let's let's work a plan here because as soon as they see you it's a wrap for me uh, then he, he, can, he concludes and I talked about this finishing up with and this is where we're going to pick right up is that he concluded with there being so much livestock between Lot and Abram that they had to separate right and so you know Abram essentially was like hey Lot look, look around it's, just go a direction. Whatever direction you go, I go the opposite direction, right? Everyone, if you've been following along, I think you you remember that that place. I think if you look at verse 10, chapter 13, verse 10, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. So Lot went on to become an Eastsider, and, and Abraham, or Abram went to Canaan, and he was throwing up W's. He was on the west side, right? This is, this is where we are, right? And you have to, and I made a big point of telling you that because you need to know just how far apart they are. They are not next door neighbors. When they were next door neighbors, there were gonna be some problems. Right? The herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham, of Abraham, they were really knocking heads about it. So they needed, they needed to have a considerable distance apart. So they literally, one went that way and the other went that way. Okay, so let's pick up in 14 chapter. Okay, and it came to pass in the days of, of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kadalimer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Berah, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Amdah, Shimabur, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. Okay, all these journeyed together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea, Twelve years they served Kadalimer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. All right, so let's set the backdrop for this. I'm not going to read the entire thing. 
Okay, so this is essentially, you have four kings, Kadalimer being the head guy, and then you have five kings that were kind of serving, and ultimately we'll see that they're going to get into conflict. Alright, so let's lay down some basic foundation, right, and I oftentimes ask you all, you know, do not set aside what you've learned over the years through, through schooling and education, right, we're going to deal with correct grammar, so that way we can get a contextual understanding of what's being read. We're also going to, you know, one of the cool things about living today is that there have been some fairly accurate depictions of things that have occurred in the time period that we're looking at. So. Temporal or temporal um, context is important because from a time perspective, you need to know what were the customs of the area, especially during that time period. You need to know what, what happened. So the Bible says that the kings actually entered into battle and conflict. Now, when the Bible says that, what's intimated along with that, or what's inferred by saying that, is that the armies that the kings possessed battle one another. You're right. So the picture is not like nine people fighting. I mean, it's really not how it works, right? When you say, you know, this king went to war, you don't think that the king went alone. You know, what's implied is that, you know, whatever armies that he commanded or under his control, you know, went and fought the battle. As a matter of fact, it was very custom, you know, commonplace that kings didn't engage in battle at all. You know, that would have been, that would have been uncivilized. That would have been beneath, you know, they, they send, you know, send your warriors to battle, right? Uh, if you think back to, um, uh, for those who have seen the movie The Gladiator, do you remember that in the beginning? They say, let's tell this the old way, and like, you're best man, you know, but their armies are standing there battling. Okay, I'm glad everybody go to the movies, watch the movies, because, you know, sometimes people get so spiritual. I, I'll digress if I continue. Okay, so, so just understand the concept and context of what we're dealing with. Okay, in the 14th year, verse 5, uh, Kadalimer and the kings that were with him came and attacked uh, Rephim and, and Ashtaroth, uh, Karnim, uh, the Zuzim and Ham, the Emmon and Shabbat, Kirathaim, and the Horites in, the, in their mountain of Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Now, I totally get that what I just read, for the majority of people, just, it, whatever, dude, just keep rolling. <laughs> you know, and I get that, okay, so I'm not tripping, I'm not offended, okay? And so, so I want to help you out in kind of how to parse through some of these things when you're studying. And we've talked about that. We've talked about the appropriate way to study the Bible, especially when you start doing the Old Testament. Because for believers today, understanding that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, when you're in the Old Testament, you really should be looking to see where the fulfillment has occurred in the New Testament so that you can connect the dots. This is a benefit to us. Don't get too caught up in that, um, and I know theologians everywhere are probably screaming, running, you know, yelling at the uh, website for what I'm saying, but I want you to, to be able to focus in on what's appropriate. So, so far we have the kings themselves, and there's a rebellion. This comes into play because of how Abram gets involved. The location is occurring near Sodom and Gomorrah, the plain of Jordan. Lot looked, saw that the area in the plain of Jordan looked like the garden of the Lord, and he went to the east, which is where we're talking about, Abram went west. So there's a lot of activity 
happening around the Sodom and Gomorrah area, right? This is why we're reading. This is what you need to take from the context and understand. There's conflict of brewing in the location Lot is in. Now, allow me to parenthetically interject here that when God in Genesis the 12th chapter said, get away from your country, your family, and your father's house, if those instructions would have been followed, well, we wouldn't be reading this. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it amounts to. Right, because this is happening where Lot lives, not where Abram lives, okay? Uh, so let's, let's, having said that, let's kind of move down, verse 8. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of uh, Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Oar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Kadalamer and his boys, the, the, four, the four kings against five. You see that? Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, Abram's nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Okay, now we get into the good part. So, you, you see the, the battle, right? The battle is between, the battle is between four kings, the four kings that were ruling Kadalimer was running things 12 years, 13th year, they want to jump down with Kadalimer and you know, because in those days what you did was pay tribute, right? So you pay tribute, you know, so someone, you, you conquer a land or whatnot, and then the kings or whoever own the area, they come to you and they pay, they pay money, they pay gold, silver, whatever it is, the request. And so after 12 years of that, Sodom and Gomorrah kings and the other kings that were with them was like, we're not paying nothing, we'll meet you in the valley. So they get to the valley and Boom! Kadalama drops it on them. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah run away. Leave their people. That's a whole nother lesson in and of itself. And so Kadalama and his boys take everything. Take all their stuff. And as you would do, because to the victor goes the... Thank you. And so now, what's happening is that Abram is being brought into this, and you'll see it by the last verse we read, because it is identified, now Sodom and Gomorrah got quite a few folks, now I don't, I don't have an exact number for you, I'm not going to say a thousand, five thousand, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, I can't speak to what the Bible doesn't say, right, by the way, that's a great habit to get into. So, what I do know is that Abram's attention is now going to be turned to what we read about Lot, because they now take Lot as living in Gomorrah, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Sodom specifically, and they say that he was taken and all of his stuff, all right? Verse 13, the, then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, remember I told you that the book of Hebrews referred to the language that they spoke also, it is another term for the word Israelite. Now, you know, Israelites did not exist at this point because Jacob, who is the grandson of Abram, is still in Abram's loin. At this point, he's Abram, not Abraham. There is no Isaac, ergo. There can be no Jacob, ergo. There can be no Israel, ergo. There can be no Israelites. So the book of Hebrews is written to the descendants of Abram, whenever you see Hebrews, it refers to Abram and his descendants, right? That's free of charge, no ties required. So it says, the one who escaped told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. So listen, listen, watch the setup. 
the location, and I told you I, I wish I had a really big map here, so you, it really makes a lot more sense when you can see the distance and, and the geographic locations that they're living in, right? So Abram is there, he's got two allies with him. It's Abram and two allies you just read. So one person escapes, goes and tells Abram what happened with Lot. Now, verse 14, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Brother refers to Lot just, you know, because he said, we're brethren, we don't fight, this is, he is his nephew, right? There's no conflict there, there's no issue. The motivation behind Abram getting involved was not that Sodom and Gomorrah got jacked in the valley. The scripture says, when he heard that Lot was captured, he goes and gets his 318 men, right? So you can imagine Abram with his 300. This is Canaan! <laughs> I'm joking, he didn't say that. I just, my imagination gets the best of me. But in any case, so he's got 318 men, and he, 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 he mobilizes them so that he can go and get who? Lot, right? Because the, the scripture says that Lot and all his possessions and goods were taken along with everything that was taken from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's important that I build this backdrop for you so that you can understand it. Okay, verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hoban, which is north of Damascus. So Abram lives near Mamre, or in Mamre, and he goes which direction? East. Right, because we, we saw that when they split, plain of Jordan, Lot saw, he went east. Abram, he's a west sider. So he went, he went west. So now Abram has to take all his men, he has to head east, and he goes, he goes east, and then he goes north as far as Damascus, pursuing who? Kadalimer and those that were victorious in the battle, in the Valley of Siddam, we know that because to the victor goes the spoils. All right, now, there were four kings against five in the initial battle, and the five kings, which included Sodom and Gomorrah, who fled, those kings, they lost to Kabbalah. I don't have, there are no numbers that are given to me for the size of the armies that the, the Kadalimer and his boys have, okay? I don't even know if the five kings, because the Bible does not say, I don't know if the five kings had more soldiers than Kadalimer and, and, and his three other kings. I don't know what the numbers are. The only numbers that are given are Abraham's trained servants, right? We, we, we do know he had allies, right? But he doesn't give what their numbers are. So I want that to be the last thing we really deal with about numbers, because we don't know. So I don't want to over-spiritualize the number 318. I think more than anything else, Reginald speaking, I think more than anything else is to show you that the numbers that Abram had were more than likely inferior to the numbers that the four kings he was going after had. That's it. Do you follow? And that's not uncommon for the Bible to give such presentation to let you know that it's a God thing and not a you thing. Okay? And that we'll, we'll see and we'll leave it at that. Okay, verse 16. So he brought back all the goods 
and also bought, bought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and people. So Abram goes after him, comes up with a plan, catches him, defeats him, brings back everything. The Bible said that when Kedalimer and the kings won, they took all the goods, all the possessions of Simon Gomorrah, then they took Lot and all his stuff. It says here, Abraham got him, victories won, he brings back everything that they took. Abram and his folks bring back, including Lot and all the Lot stuff. Now we know Lot had a lot of stuff because Abram and him had to depart from one another because the livestock they owned was too plentiful. Right? All these things kind of play into it. You have to keep them in mind and it helps to paint a full contextual picture of what's actually occurring. Now, before we get to the part where the tithe is mentioned, let me say to you, it was customary in this day and time to pay tribute to the king. You would give honor to the king. It was also customary for mercenaries to be hired to go and do battle or fight on the behalf of a king and or kingdom. And part of what you would pay them is their ability to keep what they get. Right? Kind of like a, a biblical version of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You follow? So this is kind of how this whole process worked. So keep that in mind as we're about to read. Verse 17, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedalimer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. All right, let's look up. Let's, let's talk. Okay. So, the king of Sodom and Melchizedek goes out to meet Abram. Now, this is unusual. The protocol is that the person in Abraham's position would have reported back to the king all that had occurred and with all the things that were captured and brought back. This is not what the Bible records, however. It says that they went out to meet Abram. Melchizedek, now there's a lot that we can talk about. And when I, when I do the conclusion next week to this series, we'll deal with the book of Hebrews. I'll explain a little bit more on Melchizedek and especially his relationship to Jesus Christ. But let's just look at what occurred. So Melchizedek, who's the priest of the God Most High, brings out bread and wine to Abram, blesses Abram, and says to him, God delivered those that whole battle, that whole scenario, into your hands. Now, when I told you about the numbers, I said more than likely the numbers were given in an effort to show that Abram's numbers were inferior to Kedalimer and the kings that were with him. Right? But they didn't speak to any more numbers other than that. And I think you see this played out here and that Melchizedek is saying, hey Abram, you blessed by God most high. And he delivered all those into your hands. And as a response to what was said, which is indeed, God gave you that victory. He gave him a tithe of everything he had with him. What did Abram have with him exactly? Well, according to what scripture says, all the stuff that was taken 
by Qadalim and his kings that Sodom and Gomorrah had and all that Lot had because Abram lived on the west side. Ab Abram left all of his stuff at home. Took 318 trained men that were born in his house, went and pursued Qadalimer and his kings in the east as far north as Damascus, captured all their stuff on the way back, is met in the valley by Sodom and Melchizedek. So he never made it back home. So the time that Abram gives was not his own stuff. As a matter of fact, you could say he was down with OPP, other people's possessions. <laughs> Come on, work with me, Christians. <laughs> these weren't, these, these didn't belong to him. They belonged to Sodom, Gomorrah, and Lot. So the spoils of war, essentially, to the victor goes the which is the same thing that happened with Kanalama, right? When they beat up Sod when they beat up the, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and took all their stuff and they, they left, they took all the possessions. When Abram went and captured them, he took all the possessions back. Now, a couple of things to note. Number one, what did Melchizedek request of Abram? Nothing. There was no request made. I didn't see a request. I, we've been reading, we're in the third chapter. Right? And, and, the, and the piece that people use who still want to deal with this financially manipulative practice want to use that last piece and he gave and he gave him a tithe. One, two, three, four, five, six. So I can't read. Uh, four, seven, eight. Eight words at the last of verse 20. Where everything else about it lets you understand what the tenth or tithe of all is. You're not convinced. I understand. You're thinking, well, you know, I don't know if it's exactly what you're saying. And I, and I can understand it. So let's go to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, real quick. And uh, uh, fourth verse, Hebrews 7 and 4. It says, Now consider how great this man was, talking about Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the, oh, a tenth of the spoils. So it's not just Reginald saying, hey, this is Abram's giving a tenth of what he got in battle. The writer of Hebrews is referring back to what we just read, which is he gave a tenth of the spoils, the plunder, what he got in war. So if people were to indeed, we're going to go back and we're going to finish this out. If people were indeed to utilize Abram as their example for tithing because he lived 400 years before the law. Okay, well, you're asking people to give 10% of their income because God requires it, which he doesn't. No law. The example here, Melchizedek, who reminds Abram that God has given him the victory, and Abram's response was to give a tenth of what God delivered into his hands. And it didn't belong to him. Matter of fact, let me not go too far off. Let's read, and you, you can verify that it's not his. Watch. Verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Listen, if the stuff belongs to Abram, the king does not have to tell him to take it for himself. It's like you come into my house telling me, won't you fix a sandwich? 
Thank you. It's my house. I'll fix me a sandwich. I want to fix me a sandwich. You know, it's my stuff. Right? I mean, so in Solomon says, well, take the goods for yourself. Abraham responds, but Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Now, I don't want to go to the 24th verse yet. Listen, so the king says, give the people back to me. By the way, that is the most important thing for the king, because if you got people working for you, doing your bidding, then it doesn't matter what may come and go in your life, you're going to get it replaced. That's a whole nother lesson, though. He says, you take the goods, right? It's my stuff, but I'm giving it to you. Abraham's like, oh no. I'm not taking nothing that belongs to you. Because let's face it, if he does, right, and I'm sure it's some pretty nice stuff, all the king has to say, you know that dude out there living out west, Abram? I did that. I gave him that stuff. And, I, and I'll say, listen, um, you press pause, this, this is Reginald, and I, I rarely do this. Those who, um, who have been here a long time can tell you this. Um, I, I get it. I, I have had a situation where someone offered me a sizable amount of money to perform a particular action in a certain way, and when I turned it down, I really understood freedom. Because if I would have accepted it, and as the Freedom Center has grown, I tell you what, they'd be like, that's me. Well, it's a God thing. I'm not responsible, you're not responsible, God's responsible. And when Abraham is doing this situation, he's doing the exact same thing. He said, I'm not taking nothing from you so that you can lord that over me. Oh no, mm -mm. this is God's thing right here. And so he essentially gives it all back. Now this is the piece I was talking about other people's possession. So ultimately now what you have, right, because there's a legal exchange that occurred, also customary in the time period, that when the king speaks, what the king speaks becomes law. So when he said, take the goods for yourself, there was a legal transition of property from the king of Sodom to Abram. Abraham was like, pause, put it all back. So now Abraham ultimately has given a tip of something that did belong to him because the law occurred, but now Abraham gave 90% of other people's stuff back to the person he got it from. So let me see if I can make some sense of this for those that want to use this last piece of verse 20 as a financial doctrine. It would be like on your job, right, because we have to, for what they do, they take the tithe and mean your income, gross income. Let me don't get it right. You know, you, get a, you give a net tithes, you get a net blessing. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. Um, so, you give 10% of that, and, 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 uh, and, that's, and that's how they equate it. But in this scenario, if this indeed is your example, you know, I tithe because Abram tithe, then you, you need to do it the way Abram did it. Number one, you can't give a tithe of your income. Because Abram didn't give a tithe of anything that he had. His stuff was back at home safely, under the watchful eye of Sarai and her household, which we know included Hagar, and I can't wait to teach you about that dichotomy. Then, 
once you get past that hurdle, you need to also take the remaining percentage of your income and give it away back to your employer. Be like, oh no, he can't pay me here. God blesses me with what I need. I don't need salary. Take it back. I mean, this is going to be your example. I mean, it sounds preposterous. And it is preposterous. Which is why we're doing a series. We have to stop the foolishness. And you have to stop taking things out of context. People's lives are being ruined over this foolishness. People are falling away from God. Falling away from churches. Because this is the sort of thing that's, being, that's happening. You can't do that. God is so much bigger than the balance of your checkbook. I, t I told you before, Ab now Abraham had it going on tremendously. And we, we talked about that. We, we, in, tw in 12 and 13, we saw those things. We also saw that he didn't have to pay for what God gave him. He didn't have to pay not one single thing. As a matter of fact, I challenge you to show me how Abram got to be as blessed as he is outside of what God said in Genesis the 12th chapter, which is, I will bless you. And because at the end of the day, that's all that occurred. We don't see Abram doing anything. God said, I'll bless you. And I've already shown you in, 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 in um, uh, Galatians 1 and 3, 2 Peter 1 and 3, that we as believers today are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You already have those things. So if our relationship with God is based on Abram's relationship with God because he's the father of the faith, then you have it. Abram was not running around seeking after blessing. He wasn't tithing to get blessed. You see that. He wasn't paying for blessing. He wasn't sowing no spiritual seeds. <laughs> what the world? There's none of that. Listen, I, and I, you know, for those listening, listen, I, and I know that, believe me, I know some have been offended. Uh, I, I've been there. I've been offended. I've been offended because I've been subject to the manipulation. Some intentional, some unintentional. So I know the shame and hurt and embarrassment that you may feel coming to the realization, I got, I got duped. But it's okay. I've asked you all, do two things when listening to the series. Number one, thank God that you've gotten the truth and that you're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. Number two, forgive those that have done this, that have taught you in error the tithe. You have to forgive them. Forgive them. God's bigger than that. Your relationship with God is bigger than that. Okay, let's, let's finish this up. And I, I told you about the practices that were commonplace. So anyone thought that my research, you know, that I was just surfing the internet, just grabbing pieces of information here and there. Allow, allow the Bible to speak, okay? Verse 23, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Take their portion? what portion would you be referring to? Because it was customary in that day. That when you went out to battle and you conquered, to the victor goes the spoils. So there was, and it is, the Bible does not say here what the percentage is. Only that Abram said, give them what is rightfully theirs. Give them their portion. And the people that are listed are his allies 
that you read in the beginning of the 14th chapter when the one who had escaped had came and said, hey, Lot got captured. And it says, Abram, his 318 servants, and his allies went with him, pursued, right? So, so that's that whole piece. So, so understand, again, it was customary in those days for people to get a portion of the battle, you know, when they won the battle, they, they got their share. I don't know what that is. The Bible doesn't say, and I do not like speaking to things that the Bible does not say. It's all hearsay. It's all, you know, it, and, and I try to point that out. Hey, me speaking, Bible speaking. Here, the Bible says that Abram wanted his folks to get their share. Share of what? Share of everything they took back, which would have been all the possession of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and lot stuff. Now, I don't know how that all worked out. They worked it out. Okay. Abram's five. So, what do we know? We know that Abram did not give a tithe of everything he possessed. He gave a tithe of everything he got in war. So let's lay to rest that tithing myth that people want to utilize and say that 400 years before the law is where the tithe was instituted. You will never see again Abram um, in relationship to the tithe. You won't see it. I read for you Hebrews 7 and 4, which is the only other time Abram, Abraham at this point, and tithe are connected together again, and it's only to show the supremacy of Christ by referencing Melchizedek. So you can't take it out of that and say, look, oh, it says it right here in Hebrews. We're going to deal with that next week. In our conclusion, we're going to deal with Hebrews, the seventh chapter, but I'll give a, a foundation as, as I'm... I want to do because I want to make sure you have a contextual understanding. So you won't see it repeated. If it's a if it's a process that's instituted, you're going to see some reference at some point to Abraham. It wasn't like he died when he was 45 years old. Not only that, you'll never see it in reference to Isaac. Not only that, the time that you see it in reference to Jacob, and I could I'm tempted to teach on Jacob, and the Bible really refers to it as Jacob's vow because it was conditional. God told Jacob, if you, you go here and you do this and you do that, I'll bless you. And then Jacob come back, well, if you bless me here, if you bless me there, if you bless me this, then I'll give you a tenth. And the crazy thing is, the Bible doesn't record Jacob ever paying a vow. So I'm not sure how you're going to have it to be some sort of institution of the tithe when it's only mentioned as a one-time event ever. All right. Father, we thank you. God, you're so wonderfully awesome, perfect, and holy. God, we acknowledge you as Lord. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who brought with him grace and truth. Now, God, my prayer is that everyone who has heard and will hear, let them accept the truth and receive the freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from the Freedom Center Community Church where people are experiencing life change by doing life together. We desire to partner with every individual so that they may realize the full God potential that's in them. Also, we invite you to become a friend of the Freedom Center Community Church on Facebook. Accept the truth. Receive the freedom. Thanks again for listening. God bless.